it's the first prayer message of the year so I be begin by praying a word of encouragement from Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 beginning from verse 19 in your ears Hebrews 10, beginning from verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he have consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, or better yet, let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God. Um, Hebrews 10, 19-25 I was taught from as far back as I can remember as a Christian, that the book of Hebrews was written primarily to those who were converted from Judaism to Christ and were tempted to return to the old rituals of the Jewish faith. I believe if you was to take up any commentary, this would be found in the introduction. They believe that the intention of the author was to show the new covenant is better than the old rituals of Judaism. I've been taught that by many preachers. Um, this may be true from a human perspective, but if you are preaching Hebrews, please don't introduce it like that. The Holy Spirit is the author of scripture and it is good that nobody knows who the human author is. They try to make it Paul, some try to make it Apollos, others try to make it Peter and at the end of the day, God never tells us who it is. And we should leave it like that. The book of Hebrews is written for all men of all time, all Christians especially. In case that we are tempted to retreat from our faith, Hebrews is written to show the superiority of Jesus Christ to us, to me and you. He's better than anything else 
that you would pursue in this world, whether it be a religion, a cult, is better. It is written to show the superiority and the authority of Christ and the Christian gospel. That what Christ offers by his grace is better than what anyone else can offer. Now this is highlighted by the general exhortation that is given so many times in the book, let us therefore. The us of course refers to all who profess faith in Christ, not only the Jewish nation, but all of us. And you see how sometimes it is dangerous to read commentaries. Nothing be personal Bible study and personal search of words in the scriptures. It does not mean that the Hebrew worshipers of the past had an inferior message, or it doesn't mean that they had a different promise than we have. The difference between new and old covenants is that the old was unfinished. It was an unfinished promise. The new is completed. Christ came, died, rose again, now is in heaven. The all was insufficient. It was filled with rituals and shadows. The other is filled with realities. You and I can look back and see that there was a time in history that Christ died. You can look back and see that the Holy Spirit came and the Jews did not have to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost with fruit from the ground, but souls, 3,000, was presented to God. That's the difference. Christ shed his blood. He enables us to perform what the law could not make worshipers do because he comes to live in the hearts of his people. Hebrews shows those realities. Now many uncertainties await us this new year. I always seem to be getting bad news. But we should not worry about those uncertainties. We should follow the word of God in light of what Christians have. And this is what I want to talk about, what Christians have. Now, I must be careful that I, what I'm saying, because I'm using the word Christians in inverted commas, what Christians have. The text before us shows three things that Christians have that I've just read. Everyone doesn't have these graces. A person who is not a believer do not have the things that I am about, I'm about to show. But if you have truly become converted, the word of God instructs us concerning these things. And the usual thing is you see some indicatives and then you see some imperatives 
and I will deal with the imperatives last. What we will do this evening by way of encouragement and exhortation is to consider two main heads. First head, I will show the Christian's privilege or privileges as new covenant believers. Second, I will show our pattern or what our pattern will be as believers. Notice I say what our pattern will be. I didn't say what our pattern should be or ought to be, but it will be. I am not a dispensationalist preacher. I'm a reformed preacher. And you should know that by now. I know what our dispensationalist friends say, but we should correct that. That's why I say what we will be. It's a pattern among Christians. And I will show you. It's not an option that the apostle is giving us. It's a pattern he's showing us what we will be. So I want to make that clear. First, then, the privileges as believers. Now, today, many professing Christians do not see the gracious privileges the Lord has given to his people. Something is wrong if you and I are blind to the goodness of God, as I was sharing last Lord's Day. The first great privilege is believers have the Holy Spirit. Every Christian believe that. But every Christian do not act like they have the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, where we began, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds, I will write them. This is not even a privilege. It's a gift. The Holy Spirit. Now put the law of God in our hearts. That gives us a desire and a will to do them. Not perfectly, of course. But the desire, the want to is there. Something that we didn't had before. The promise of this Holy Spirit was made in Jeremiah. You know the verse. And so a lot of our friends will teach that there are two distinct covenants. I was talking to Gene sometime last week about that, and he he he, he quickly understood. It, it was it, they're not two different covenants. They're not two ways people are saved. It is the Jews that turn the covenant into a covenant of works. And thus God abandoned them. But God never intended that. Abel was saved by the covenant of grace. He applied blood. 
that is offering can apply works. If you turn with me, and you should, to Jeremiah 31, quickly, it's in the Old Testament, I would read it to you, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. There we read, Behold, the days come, a better rendition would be, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob, sorry, and with the house of Judah. Now we must be careful. We must be careful. God is not speaking here about nationalities. The house of Israel is comprised of all believers. The house of the house of Israel, the house of Judah, let me put it the other way, the house of Israel is comprised of the remnant of national Israel. The house of Judah is comprised of all New Testament believers. It is not literally speaking of the 10 tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south, which constituted Israel and Judah, but it is, it is, it is encompassing the, the whole body of Christ. That's why I said this is a Bible study. Then he goes on to say, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Here, here you see it. They broke it. They turned it into a covenant of works. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Then the promise, verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Judah is not mentioned here. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Let me ask you, is the people, Theophilus in Palestine, God's people? No, who are God's people? The believers, the Christians, yes. And what qualifies them? God, the Holy Spirit, comes in them. The phrase, after those days, means after Pentecost. After the Comforter came. The world talks about the Holy Spirit. But the Lord says, the world do not know God. Hebrews 10 verse 17 goes on. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. No more ritual. This verse means that the one who God grants the Holy Spirit 
has the forgiveness of sins as we were saying last Lord's Day. We have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says very um, emphatically, if any, if any man doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he doesn't belong to Christ. And you may ask, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Well, that's another Bible study altogether. I would have to do that another time. So the privileges as believers, believers have the Holy Spirit. Second privilege, believer, believers have access to the heavenly throne. That's the second point. Believers have access to the heavenly throne. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he have consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a big curtain that separated the holiest from the holy place. Uh, it's like they had a curtain here, but back there, was the holiest of all, but only the priests can go in there once a year. And when Christ was crucified, you remember what happened. The veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And only God could do that because that thing was like 40 feet high. You, you would got to get a step ladder, an extension ladder to get up there to tear it down. God ripped it from top to bottom, signifying he's no longer worshipped that way anymore. True believers now have access to the very throne, to the ark. Aaron's rod, that body, the manna. We have access to that. It's a privilege. The old dispensation, men could not access the throne of God on their own. They always had to have a mediator. Aaron's two sons thought that they were hot stuff. And they're gone in there and they were struck dead. King, was it was his name? Uzziah, 52 years of reigning. 52 years. He's a picture. Uh, picture of the apostate church. Decided he was going to take a censer and go behind there. 86 priests. Valiant men tell him, you shouldn't be doing this. He took them on. He was struck with leprosy. And he ran out. And he lived in quarantine until he died. And after his death, Isaiah can say, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was stopping people from seeing the Lord. And if you have a king in your life, you will not see the Lord. A lot of us got kings. For you to see the Lord, that king must die. And there's only one king, small k, that rule people's hearts. And for the believer, God took care of that king. We have access. This is why 
we can come here week after week with confidence and prayer for our people. We can ask large petitions. We should not be bashful, as some of you are, but bold. To be bold doesn't mean to be arrogant and irreverent, but unafraid. Fear brings torment, and men are afraid because they may not have the first thing that I said. They may not have the Holy Spirit. Because if we have access to the throne, we should take advantage of that privilege. I pray that this new year, that it bring boldness of the Holy Ghost into our lives. If there is any ounce of redemption in us, we would be bold. We have the Holy Ghost. We have access to the heavenly throne. And lastly, it's only a Bible study this evening. We have a high priest over the house of God. We have the Holy Spirit, have access to the heavenly throne, have a high priest. Verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God. Verse 21 says that. No man can fill the office of high priest. He would be a thief to claim an office that is not his, like this name, Vicar of Christ. Uh, the only one person can fill that office, and that is the Lord Jesus. No man can be Vicar of Christ. Vicar means in place of, uh, and, and no man can fill that office. The Jewish people had a high priest for a nation. We have a high priest over the world. Wherever we are in the world, we have the same priest. The people in Zimbabwe, for instance, must come to the same high priest, not the traditional priest, not the witch doctor that some of you go to, the high priest over the house of God. We have him. When you and I approach the Lord, we are not to think that we are approaching men or impressing men. We are approaching the high priest. Now, these are the privileges Christians have today. Now, let me ask you, do you have these privileges? Do you have the Holy Spirit? If one does not have the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. Do you have access to the heavenly throne? How do you use it? Do you go there regularly? Do you go there at all? Do you go there with your family, your sons and your daughters? How often do you go? How often you are found there? Third, how about this high priest? Is he interceding on your behalf? Is he taking your imperfect prayer and making it perfect? If he isn't, he's not going to hear you. 
Romans 8.26. Great privileges. Don't neglect these privileges, boy. So having showed the privileges Christian has, let me show you the vital part of the passage where the writer gives three exhortations. I call them the imperatives. But the title head is the pattern the Christian will show. Verses 22 through 25. The pattern. If you're doing Bible study for yourself, uh, you're taking notes, you can head that last section. The pattern the Christian will show. Notice with me in these three exhortations showing the pattern of Christian living. The writer underscores it with a repetition of the plural inclusive pronouns, words, let us, our, ourselves, together, one another. Come, if you come, don't Jackie, you, they're too numerous to come. He's included himself, let us, ourselves, one another. When we consider this pattern, all three graces, as I said, are imperatives of the Christian life. Let us consider each one with the remaining few minutes we have. Not the first exhortation, sincerity of heart. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, this is not talking about baptism. This is talking about the cleansing of the word. That's the pure water. That, that's Titus 3, uh, 3 through 5. You, have, if you, you can jot Titus 3 as a backup verse for what I'm saying. In a world of phony jewelry, phony preachers, phony public servants, Christians should not be fake. Every now and again, a fake shows up in the church. There were men in the Old Testament, as I said, who were not real. Think of Gehazi, worked with a good man, Elisha, for many years, saw all of the miracles of Elisha. And when he found out that Naaman did not take any money for healing him of his leprosy, Gehazi changed colors quickly. You know, his story is a picture of a person in the true gospel and yet never believe it. Went back to a gospel of works. Pay for service. He came back to his master. The master was an all-seeing and all-knowing, but the Holy Spirit was in him. He said, didn't I see you run after um, Naaman? I didn't want you there. Well, I'll tell you something. May the leprosy that Naaman had come from you. You hear about here's I no more. A leper was shut out. You look real. You saw some wonderful things. He, didn't, he wasn't on board with the gospel of grace. 
And some in this church are like that. They're not on board. Ever so often they surface. Too many warnings in the Bible to overlook. If you in the Bible reading and preaching and you don't show these things, you are a bad preacher. Not fit for office. Sincerity of heart. You remember what the Bible says, you do not approach God anywhere. There are men that approach God who were not real and the fire consumed them. I pray that this would not be one of us. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 is an awesome warning. Therefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Just as the fire burn up all the fat of the sacrifice, that's how God is. A sincere heart. Sincere heart is all that God desires of us. That's all it, that's all it is. That we do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Humility is the opposite of pride and arrogance. The world is filled with phonies and the church have sufficient. But we should be different. Let us be sincere. Next imperative B, let us be steadfast. 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the profession of faith without the reason why R is in italics is because we don't have faith. Faith is a gift of God. We profess faith. Let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. And let us consider one another to vote unto love and good works. To hold fast is, a, is, is descriptive of a grip we have on something. You know, you give somebody a $100 bill, you know, they, they're not going to hold it like this. I know Mabel ain't going to hold it like this. I mean like this. Right? Right, Mabel says she hold it like this. That's what it means to hold fast. Hold firm. Hold firm, Brother Curtis. The faith. Hold on to Christ. Hold him. Faith. Don't let him go. So, uh, be steadfast. Let me finish my notes here. I don't even know what I do with it. Yeah. Be sincere. Be steadfast. Lastly, and this is the last sub point. Sincere, steadfast, be sensitive to the brethren. Be sensitive. Oh boy. Sometimes the things we do to one another, 
show that we're not sensitive at all. The hurt of the brethren. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That's one way to be sensitive. But exhorting one another, that's another way. And so much more as you see the day approaching, that's another way. Under this last subhead, you can divide it into three parts. We are to be sensitive to fellow brethren in assembling with each other. Assembling all the time. The word means gathering together. Today in the post-COVID era, many have the excuse why disgrace can no longer be practiced. You see people going to the office, or some still work at home, the classroom, but the gathering of God's people is high risk. But you, you know, the one thing you can say, COVID did, COVID here at this church was a blessing in disguise. Never before were we on time for Sunday school until after COVID. You, you realize that? Never in time we are in our places by 11 o'clock. Of course, the visitors would do that, come at 11 at the dot and then leave as soon as the benediction is, is playing, I, I stopped marking Sunday night. You don't mind me calling your name, sir. I started saying, Martin, how come you was always the first out? He turned back. You didn't have to turn back, Martin. He was, he was gone long. But occasionally I would do that. The church has become a hot spot for COVID. Gathering together. Many have the excuse. I know I know this guy who is still doing his prayer meeting via Zoom. Apparently the, um, the, the people that he was the building he was using wouldn't let him come back. Up to now, we can't even go back into school at Mukambani. But I, I, I believe that if I go there and talk to the headmaster, we would get in there right away. but we should be assembling together. It's a means of grace that I was talking about. <clears throat> to forego this, this sense, sensitive means doesn't make the imperative any less important. There are many medical appointments people have that are imperative. We can't see the doctor on our iPad uh, we can, but we don't. We ain't going to pack. You didn't go to the doctor on your iPad. You went over there, right? No, did you go over there? Okay, we'll say yeah. She didn't take up her iPad and man and talk and says, God, I come to do the blood work. Uh, let me give you my hand. Yes, Olive. It's, at least I got the children to laugh. That is how ridiculous it is. Second, exhorting. Exhorting one another. This is normally done from the scriptures. It is the gathering of the saints where the scriptures are to be biblically 
and carefully exegeted where people would be exhorted from the word of God. The third where Christians are to be sensitive to the brethren is by watching, watching, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You, you, you and I cannot know that the day is approaching if we are not watching. We see the many signs of the times. One of them is the great falling away in the church, the moral decay and the church. Anything goes in worship, screaming to the top of your voice. You come in here and you see orderly people sitting together, listening to the word of God. That's biblical worship. Great falling away. Another is the great deception of many holding the manifestations, extra biblical revelations, and such things. You know the end is near. So Hebrews show us the great privileges of the Christian faith. Don't neglect them. If you're here, you're visiting, don't neglect them. It shows the pattern Christians will display. We don't serve God by rote, but out of love, but there ought to be a pattern. Sincerity of heart and worship, steadfastness in faith, sensitive to the brethren. And this is my encouragement to you as we begin this year. Let's keep the faith. Let's pray. Father, help us by all means to be obedient to your word. Help those who haven't yet confessed Christ in the past years to see the need to confess him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.